I'm really glad that you guys are with us today. And you're, some of us, maybe some of you are maybe our, our guests and you're visiting with us. We want to welcome you. Say thanks for being a part of it. If you're one of our regulars, we're glad that you're here as well. Um, we have a fun thing that we're doing this morning. You know, I do have a message that I'm going to be speaking, but we're doing a little bit of a different version of a message today. It is, um, if you're aware of what the church does every Christmas, we do spend one of our Sundays uh, doing something that includes our children at different ages, and this is the day that we're doing that today. Um, but we're continuing our series. So if you've actually been with us over the last few months, you know that we've been going through a series through the book of Ecclesiastes um, called The Meaning of Life. And we've been asking that question over the last two months, what is the meaning of life? Why do we exist? What's the purpose? Everyone I know wants to find purpose in their life. I just had a conversation with someone a few days ago with the exact same question. And they said, you know, they were thrilled to death to know that one of their, their children uh, knew from the time they were very young what would give them purpose. And they're one that's still waiting for their retirement days so they could figure out what they could actually do to find meaning. I want to tell you this morning that meaning is not found in what you do. It's found in who you know. And it's important for us to continue to go through that. Today, we're not going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, but we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different view. Because over the last two months, we've looked at the things that King Solomon said about the meaning of life. We looked at it through the lens of wisdom, where he said, all the wisdom that I ever had, all of the understanding that I ever had didn't bring true fulfillment. That wasn't the meaning of life. He looked at pleasures, and he said all the money that he had, all the stuff that he could purchase and the things he could do with it, it didn't bring him purpose. He looked at all the wealth that came into his kingdom and the gold that would come in. And, and as you heard me say over the year of the weeks, if you've been here before, that there was more gold in, in Jerusalem in some cases than there was dirt. A 25 tons of gold would come into his kingdom every single year approximately, according to the, to the writings that we see in history. And yet all of the wealth and the gold didn't bring fulfillment. Making himself the priority, making his world about himself and not others was not the priority. Ultimately, he boiled it all down to a scripture that we've said every single week. And I just want to read it for you again, just as a reminder as we get started. And it's this. Everything you were taught can be put into a few words. Respect and obey God. This is what life is all about. And what Solomon was saying at the end of his time was, listen, you can pursue pleasure, you can pursue wealth, you can pursue everything that the world has to offer, and it will not bring you satisfaction. The only thing that's going to bring you true purpose is relationship with God. Knowing him, following him, and letting him lead. And that is something that applies to us today, thousands of years later, because we're all looking for significance, and we'll try to fill it through every other area that we can, but the only place that's really going to be able to be filled for eternity is relationship with God. Knowing him today is the beginning of a journey that can last for eternity. So instead of actually looking at another verse in Ecclesiastes today, Pastor Rob kind of wrapped up the last few chapters of it last week, we're going to look at the meaning of life through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we have some of our students involved, some of our adults involved. And I want to take a few minutes and just say briefly, uh, before we get started, why we are doing this. Because when we talk about the meaning of life, sometimes we can always associate the meaning of life with just good things. When we find the meaning of life, it brings true fulfillment. And that's great. That's the consequence, ultimately, God's blessings. But I want you to take this one theme throughout what you're about to see, and I want you to remember this. And it's simply this. God's will, God's way, produces God's blessings. And that's what I want to walk away from today. God's will, God's way produces God's blessings. When we look at this through the eyes of Mary, what we're going to see are three different snapshots of Mary's life. 
We're going to see an expecting Mary where she was told she was going to have a baby. We're going to see the expectant Mary and what life may have looked like at the birth of Jesus and as Jesus grew. And then we're going to look at the grieving Mary as she stood at the foot of the cross watching her very first son die a very horrible death. And we're going to take a brief look at each one of those. And I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about how her life had true meaning, but what it really looks like to understand the definition of true meaning when we practice it this way. God's will, God's way, and the blessing that comes from that. So if you would take a few moments and you just bow your heads, um, we're just going to get prepared and get set up. And I just want to invite God just to speak to us through what we see and what we hear this morning. So God, I come before you today and we thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the gift of your son. And I thank you for life. God, I pray, Lord, that as we are here today, that this isn't just a a punching of the clock opportunity for us, that we didn't just come to see someone that we love or to, to listen to a message and to go home. Lord, I pray it changes our hearts today. I pray, Lord, for those people that know you, I pray that it would just open their hearts to a greater understanding of you and that they would love you even more. For those, Lord, that are searching, that don't really know the meaning, that are looking for it in other places, I pray, Lord, that today would be a moment that that you would plant seeds and it wouldn't be from what I say or what's being said, but it's through your spirit that draws them to you. We invite you to take over the rest of this time today and we're thankful that you're here. Have your way, the giver of life. In Jesus' name we pray. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of the God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. We see the story of the expecting Mary. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and makes a declaration that she's not just going to have a baby, but she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're ever looking for a life of meaning, that's a pretty significant calling. From the time that she's very young, most people believe Mary at that time was probably 14 or 15 years old. From that time in her life, she knew, the angel said, you are going to be the mother of the son of God. If you're looking for life to have meaning, what better way is there than to have that label? God's mom. But God's mom means that we need to be a part of God's will. God's will is that Mary was the one that would be chosen. God's way is that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would become pregnant. A young woman, never been with a man, in that culture, being pregnant had dire consequences. And I wonder sometimes if we really think through that. We, we remember that Mary is the mother of Jesus and we think of the glory that can come with that. I gave birth to the Son of God. But do we really think about the significance of what that meant for her in that time during those moments? It was God's will for Jesus to be born through Mary. And then I believe that was overwhelming. It was God's way that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. But we also need to remember that during that time, the consequences were dire. Ultimately, someone who was pregnant outside of wedlock, outside of a marriage, in that situation, and if she was betrothed or engaged to another man, the potential consequence for her was death. And the Old Testament law speaks very clear that if a woman is betrothed to another man and he find, to a man and when she find, if he finds out that she was not, not actually a virgin when they came together, that he could bring that to the leaders of the, of the town and she could publicly be stoned to death. Think about what that meant. To follow God's will, God's way, had the potential for death. That was the worst case scenario. We know from the story that didn't happen. But think about it this way. The alternative wasn't death, but she would forever be misunderstood in the world that she lived in. Thankfully, the angel came in a dream to Joseph and Joseph, a righteous man, it says. The scripture says he was righteous, came to Mary 
and agreed not to divorce her, but trusted in the dream that he had, that God used the angel to speak truth, to say, this is not something that you should be concerned about. Trust me, because I'm the one that's making this happen. And, and Joseph takes her as his wife. But think about for the rest of Mary's life, she would be misunderstood by people. She was the girl that got pregnant by someone other than her husband. She was the girl who claims that God came upon her and a baby came from nothing. Sounds pretty far-fetched. She would forever be misunderstood. In fact, when you look through the stories in the Gospels as Jesus grows up, you know that this is true. There's even an instance in one of the Gospels when they talk about Jesus and the people in the town make this comment. They go, who is this man anyway? We don't even know who his father is. Can you imagine being misunderstood from the time you're 14 or 15? All of your life, you want people to believe the truth, but the truth is something that they don't believe. And yet she's experiencing real life. Why? Because the meaning of life is knowing God. The meaning of life is doing things God's way to receive God's blessings. Her response is mind-blowing when we think about it. Her response her response should just stop us dead in our tracks because when the angel makes that declaration, all of these things are going to go through her mind. And her response wasn't to push back and to find all the answers, to know everything in detail. Her response was simply, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. I've heard some people wonder why God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. I've had people ask that question and I've heard people talk about it. Well, we know it wasn't because of her social status because she wasn't from a wealthy family. We know it wasn't because she had some special skill or special ability. What we know about Mary is that she was a servant and we see that illustrated again in her response. I am the Lord's servant. Her heart and her hands are open. May everything you've said about me come true. Because to experience real life, to experience real life, to know God's will, we have to be willing to do it God's way to receive God's blessings. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by vast hosts of others, the armies of heaven, 
praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, 
They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars, used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone had had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign in Cana, in Galilee, was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So the story continues, and we see how the birth of Jesus, illustrated over here, brings with it all of the confirmations that Mary heard from the angel Gabriel. That at the birth of Jesus in a manger, which, by the way, is a fancy way of saying a feeding trough, in a cave in Bethlehem, they're then greeted by these shepherds because the shepherds had this experience in the field. The shepherds find them and they come to them and say, We were greeted by these angels. And these angels, they reinforce the fact that today there was a Savior that was born in Bethlehem. And they come and they share the story with Mary. They share the story with Joseph. They share the story because they were excited and overjoyed that they would be the ones that the message was given to. Mary hears those words, tucks them away. Sometime later, We hear the story of the Magi or the wise men that came from the east. And it's a familiar story for many, but they came from far distances, hundreds of miles away to come. And when they found Mary, they, they, they gave Mary gifts. And we don't know how many wise men there were, but we know that there were three different gifts, the story says. The scripture says that they brought gold and they brought frankincense and they brought myrrh. And if we can contemplate the significance of the gifts, gold represents kingship because gold was the most valuable thing that anyone could possess. Jesus was going to be a king. Frankincense was an incense that the priests would burn and they would bring into the temple. And he gave them frankincense. And frankincense represented the priestly role that Jesus would serve as an intercessor between us and God. And finally, they gave Mary and Joseph myrrh as a gift to Jesus. Myrrh was a fragrance that was used during burial time to foreshadow the death that Jesus would one day pay, the death for the sins of all mankind. The interesting thing about this story is if we just stop there and we, we think about that, it can feel overwhelming, it can feel exciting, it can also feel really confusing. It gives you a lot to think about, and that's what I think is wonderful in the scripture, that it specifically says this, and Mary kept all of these things in her heart, and thought about them often. How many years did she think about the birth of this baby in a humble means, 
from humble means in a feeding trough. How many times did she think about the surprise visit of the shepherds? telling the story of the shepherds, of the angels that, that visited them? How many times did she think about the wise men that came to bring gifts to her son? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many times did she think about having to flee to Egypt? Because the birth of her son resulted in the death of every little boy who was two years old and under. God's will, a savior would be born through Mary. God's way resulted in the death of two-year-old boys all throughout the land. Resulted in her having to flee her homeland to Egypt for safety. No family, no relationship, just her and Joseph. You see, when we think about the meaning of life, many times we always think about the beauty of the meaning of life and we forget that sometimes God's way doesn't make sense. Sometimes God calls us to things that don't make sense. Sometimes we can write the story better than God, but the reality of it is we can't. We simply have to trust and put it in his hands. If we fast forward 30 years in the life of Mary and Jesus, we come to the story at the wedding at Cana, the very first time that Jesus does a miracle. And the wedding in Cana was so powerful. Mary is there at the wedding with her son. It's a prominent wedding. And he has no responsibility or obligation to do anything. And yet they run out of wine in a wedding. Now, if we know anything about the traditional culture during that time, it's not too unsimilar to today. You don't want to be the guests of a wedding without food, and you definitely don't want to be the hosts. Can you imagine being at a wedding that you run out of food or a wedding that you run out of drinks or wine or something? It's no different today than it was then. It's incredibly embarrassing for the, for the hosts. And yet Mary sits here 30 years later with her adult son and looks at him. And I just wonder, what did she think? I remember the angels coming. I remember the the proclamation, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. I remember the consequence of what happened and what Herod declared. I remember you, Jesus, being 12 years old in the temple and amazing people with your understanding and knowledge of the scriptures. I remember all of these things, the angel visiting me, saying that you are going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that there's only life coming through you, and yet at 30 years old, nothing. So she looks at him, and I wonder if she looked at him and said, they don't have any wine. Like, come on now, it's time. You got to do something. And, And what did he do? According to the scriptures, it's not my time. It's not my time. And then Mary, again, demonstrating a heart of servants, servants to love God with hands wide open, looks at the servants and says to them, do whatever he tells you to do do whatever he tells you. Think about this. Jesus didn't have to do a thing. He wasn't obligated to do anything. He chose to do something because he was compassionate. He chose to do something because he loved his mom and he loved mankind. But Mary's words were not directive to Jesus. You better do this. I know who you are. You'd think as a mom, she could do that though, right? I know who you are. 
you better do something right now. You know, she gave him like the stink eye look, right? You know what I'm talking about, parents? You ever give your kids that? You better do what I'm asking you to do. She simply just looked at him and looked at the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. Jesus could have looked at the servants and said, go sit down. But he didn't. He gave him an instruction, again, that didn't make sense. Go take, go take 20 to 30 gallon stone jars and fill them with water. Then scoop out the water and go serve it to the hosts. Doesn't make sense. But they obeyed. And when they obeyed, they received God's blessing. God's will, God's way produces God's blessing. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the King of the Jews to, He said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, Rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching.
every year I hear people ask the question about the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, how much Mary really knew. How much do you think Mary really understood about the journey that she was going to walk through the rest of her life? Well, what we see in scripture are some, some revelations, some clues. We know from scripture that Gabriel told her God's only son would be born through her. We saw that and the scripture was read earlier today. We saw that the shepherds told her of the announcement in the fields that it wasn't just a baby that was going to be born, but a savior was going to be born. The Messiah was going to be born and Mary was the mom of that baby when they came to greet. We didn't see it this morning, but if you fast forward through the gospels, you see a story that after Jesus was born and he was presented to the, tent, to the temple eight days later and Simeon, the priest, saw Jesus He gave a proclamation over Jesus that said that he would be destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that would be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he looked at Mary Mary, and he said, and a sword will also pierce your own soul too. These are documented in the Gospels. We know that the wise men spoke of the star that appeared almost two years before. And we know that Joseph was warned to flee to Egypt with his family. And yet, 30 years later, there she stood, watching her son die on a cross. We share the story with you this morning because when we think of Christmas, it's so often easy for us to think about the birth of Christ. There's a baby. It's about baby Jesus. It's about joy. It's about peace. It's about love. And all those things are true. It is about those things. But let's not forget that the birth of Christ is not where it ended. The birth of Christ is where it began. Jesus was born to die. He wasn't born to live. He came and was born to die. His mother, Mary, was given a purpose by God himself. The sole purpose to be the mother of of the one who would save the world and her call. I have to believe on the other side of eternity, if we spoke to Mary, she would say, my road in this life was not an easy road. My road in my journey was not an easy journey. It came with great hardship. It came with great pain. It came with great sorrow. But you know what it also came with? It came with great life. Because the meaning of life isn't about all the things that we want for ourselves. It's not about the pleasures and it's not about the great things. All of those things can be given to us by God. All of those things, he wants us to enjoy life and live a fulfilled life. But we cannot live a fulfilled life if we do not know Christ. We cannot live a fulfilled life if we do not have relationship with Christ. There were a lot of tears that day when he hung on the cross. There was a lot of confusion, I'm sure, and we see that through the scriptures, even up until his arrest, his disciples believing and wanting and hoping that he would become the king of Israel and he would dethrone the leaders of that time and take their position. And yet it didn't happen. There he was on the cross as his life was ebbing away. And in the first two stories, we hear Mary's response. But in the third one, we hear what Jesus says to Mary. Jesus looks at his mom 
We don't know where Joseph is at this time. I believe he was probably dead. 30 years later, we know Joseph was much older than Mary. Joseph probably was no longer there. With Jesus, her first son hanging on the cross, looks at his mom and says, Dear woman, here is your son, pointing to John, the apostle. And then John, he looks at John and says, And here is your mother. And what he's doing there is something that's so powerful. He's saying, I know that it's not your plan and your choice for this to happen, but this is God's plan. Because a mom without a son and a husband is a mom that would grow the rest of her life isolated, alone, and in poverty. Even on the cross, he takes care of his mom. Even on the cross, the disciple whom he loved more than the other disciples he makes provision for and cares for. And can we just be real just for a moment and let's be human? Mary would not have chosen John over Jesus. And John would not have chosen Mary over Jesus. Both of them would have chosen Jesus over each other. And yet it was God's will for Jesus to die. It was God's plan for him to be crucified. Why? so that real life could be made available to each and every one of us. God's will, God's way produces God's blessing. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life, as we read earlier, as Solomon said thousands of years before, everything you were taught can be put into a few words. Respect and obey God. This is what life is all about. Jesus says it in Luke chapter 17 when he says it this way. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. That is a message for each one of us today, friends. Each one of us needs to know this and be reminded about Christmas. That the message of Christmas is not about the birth of Christ. The message of Christmas is about the life of Christ that led to the death of Christ so that you and I could experience life with God. That's the message of Christmas. So if you're here this morning and you're just sitting here and you're thinking, I want my life to have meaning. I want my life to have purpose. I want to have a significance about my life that goes beyond just the things that come and go each day. Because let's be honest, there are things that this world can offer us that are fun for a while. There are roles that this world can offer us that give us a sense of meaning title, power, position. Money can create a lot of happiness temporarily. Family even can be the thing that we put our identity in. But ultimately, all of those things are going to be left behind when we cross the great divide and we go into eternity. And if we don't put those things, if we put those things as the priority of our life, there'll come a time at the end of our life that we'll wonder what we did with our time and what we did with our life for significance. Can I tell you today, please, again, over the last two months, and I say it again this morning, if you want a life of meaning, nothing rivals life with God. It means knowing him, laying your life down for him because he laid his life down for you. The worship team's gonna close in a song today, and I'm just gonna ask if you would take a moment, just stand with me, please. And if you would just bow your head as I ask you some questions before we we sing this last song and I just want to ask you to contemplate this this morning 
I ask with our eyes closed and our heads bowed this morning, does your life have meaning? Does your life have meaning? You can say, well, yeah, I'm a husband or I'm a wife. I'm a parent. I have a good job. I take care of my family. Those are all good things. But do they satisfy forever? Is that the way God has created us? No. Hear my voice. Every one of us in this room was created in the image of God to know him and to be, cre- and to be in relationship with him. And there's a part of us in our lives, in our heart, that can only be filled by knowing him. And we can spend our lives trying to fill it with everything else. And I'm sure many of us have tried. In fact, I think at some point in our lives, all of us have tried. Because sometimes God's will, God's way is confusing and we don't understand it. Sometimes we think to follow God, we have to walk down a path that doesn't necessarily reflect the path that we would choose. But can I tell you that when we do things God's way, his will becomes evident and it produces his blessings. Mary experienced the blessings of God, not because her life was without error, not because her life was without pain or sorrow, but because she was obedient and she experienced true joy and true life. And that, my friends, is the meaning of life. It's an opportunity for each one of us today to walk through our lives experiencing real life. There's, there's something about the broken world that we live in that calls us to something greater. There's a Christmas song that you may be familiar with called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the first verse says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Why? Because there is a heartbeat a cry of compassion for mankind when the nation of Israel looked out above their captors and their oppressors and said, God, send a deliverer. Break through so there is life again. And that deliverer was Jesus. But the good news about that deliverer is that Jesus didn't just come for Israel. Jesus came for everyone. And our hearts today, 2,000 years later, still cry out, God, send a deliverer. Break free from the pain and the sorrow and the oppression. Break free from the anxiety. Break free from the confusion. Break free from the depression and discouragement. Break free, Lord. We want to experience real life. That happens when we choose to build our life on Jesus today, church. We build our lives on Jesus. And as the worship team sings this song, I'm going to ask you, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you ever chosen chosen to say, I'm going to follow Jesus? Because we either choose to follow him or we follow ourselves. There's no in-between. And this is so important. Every one of us, if you're listening today, hear me on this. We either choose to die to ourselves and live to Christ or we live for ourselves and die to Christ. There's no in-between. And there's great life if we choose to live for him. It's not a life without pain. It's a life of true peace. Would you pray with us this morning before our team worships? God, we just ask this morning that as our hearts are open to you, 
that you would just fill us today as we looked at the story of your son through the eyes of his mom, that we would be reminded that building our lives on you, Jesus, is a firm foundation, a foundation that can never collapse, a foundation, Lord, that when we trust in you can never wither or deteriorate because you are God of gods, you are king of kings, you are in charge of the world and the universe, and we just love you today. So God, as we worship you today, as we sing this song today, Lord, in close, may we be reminded that the real meaning of Christmas is about your son who came to be born so that he could die for our lives. May we choose this morning to build our lives on you. In your name we pray, amen.